How do y'all? Jeremy here on today's episode of Taxpayer Talks. Tim and I talk about our recent interview with Thomas McNutt, a business owner in Corsicana, and his thoughts on how best to impact local governments. We also discuss property taxes, corporate welfare, school choice, and the upcoming impact of elections around the state. Let's get into it. Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and it's only made possible from generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks, the podcast where we hold Austin accountable by giving taxpayers news that affects their wallets. My name is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. I'm here with Jeremy Kitchen, our executive director. How you doing, Jeremy? Another day, man. Doing well. Yeah, yeah. So what's been going on with you this week? Nothing really. Uh, just kind of playing catch up again, right? I feel like I say that every week, but it's uh, hopefully we'll get around this election up and be done with it, uh, yeah, which would be nice. So yeah, it'd be great. I'm tired of getting mailers. I'm tired of seeing commercials. And uh, frankly, I'm tired of seeing the same tweets over and over, so... Yeah, you, you kind of hit a, a lull in news cycles when you, you're in the middle of early voting. And, of course, Election Day is next Tuesday. Um, and so all the news, everything is about elections. It's campaign ads. Uh, and so from a policy standpoint, you know, there's not a whole lot to talk about. But I can tell you, you know, after the election is over, especially in Texas, uh, shortly thereafter, we're going to have uh, start bills start being pre-filed. And so really the legislative session is going to start, uh, you know, creeping to to a beginning uh, and we will have a lot to talk about. And so we look forward to next week. Obviously, um, it's kind of a slow week for me as well. Uh, but we uh, we did have a special guest. Uh, we did another bonus episode and we had uh, Thomas McNutt, who is kind of a political activist. He's run for office a few times in the past. Uh, he is, uh, I believe, part owner of Collins Street Bakery. And so uh, we talked to him. He, he was very involved in. Uh, dealing with uh, local property taxes and kind of fighting against the, you know, fighting for the no new revenue and against them raising rates. Uh, And so we have a clip of him. Just wanted to show that real quick, and then we'll kind of comment on our conversation. Your local officials have the final say on your property tax bill, period, period. And they'll blame the state and they'll blame the appraisal district and they'll blame COVID and they'll blame climate change and all kind of stuff. But uh, your, your city council and most importantly, your school board, your school board are the ones deciding your final property tax bill. OK, your county commissioners, those people. So in a county like this, we're real blessed. You know, uh, this is a community you go to the supermarket, you, you see people, you know, you know, and they're checking up on you. Right. So I've got good friendships and relationships with my county judge and my county commissioners and my city council folks and the school. I know these people and, and, you know, the tempting thing is to, you know, just keep it friendly and and not go to tough stuff, but you know what? Politicians sign up to receive pressure. That's how it was designed. And so, you know, the, if I'm being selfish and just want my relationship to be good and be Mr. Popular, well then stay away from applying pressure. But the truth is, is that, you know, the Lord gave me relationships with these folks 
and to what much is given, much is required. Amen. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to say, hey, such and such, Mr. Commissioner, I love you, man. Uh, you're a good, honest guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, your constituents don't just get to push a button and get a three and a half percent raise every 12 months. Right. Um, and so you can affect that and you can sacrifice along with us. And so that's what we did in Navarra County. Me and my buddy, Chris Woolsey, who's on the city council, does an awesome job. He's a guy who you need to talk to about running for something. Okay. But uh, but anyway, we, we just we, we reached out to the people we knew in these positions. Say, hey, your votes are coming up. Really ask you in these crazy economic times, help your neighbors and your friends, people you go to church with vote for the no new revenue rate. And I know your costs are up too. So at the very least, don't take all you can get, you know, will you meet us somewhere in the middle? Yeah. I mean, he's absolutely right. Right. We talk about this pretty frequently, but I think Thomas represent, he's a good example of like, look, you can probably affect the most change at the local level and it just merely means you need to develop a relationship if you don't already with some of your local elected officials. You know, the people that are at the bottom of the ballot that we all uh, go vote for or against, right? That sort of thing. Have a relationship with those folks. Um, you know, show up to these city council meetings, these county commissioners meetings. And, you know, he also mentioned, I don't think we have that in the clip, but he, he went on to mention things like writing a thank you note, right? When they do good, do, do, do good things or things that you support, you know, giving them a phone call, letting them know they're doing the right thing. I mean, you'd be shocked um, how little these folks actually hear from their constituents. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we try and culture that uh, in Texans for Fiscal Responsibility with the index. You know, uh, when people do bad things, they deserve critique. When people do good things, they deserve praise. And so this is why, you know, our top our top guys are called taxpayer champions. We try and lift them up. Uh, and when good policy is passed. Uh, even though we might think there needs to be more, for instance, on the uh, the spending cap that was passed, uh, that deserves praise. You know, we we want it to go further. Uh, but yeah, you do you do need to encourage and 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 practice positive reinforcement as well. Uh, but you know, it's it's I think it's a slippery slope either way, right? Like if it's if it's all positive all the time, that that can't be good. If it's all negative all the time, that can't be good. So critique when critique is needed. You know, give praise when praise is needed. Thankfulness, I think those are important. Uh, I, I do like your point and his point, right? That local elections are so important. We, you know, I, I talk to, you know, grassroots activists all the time. And, and one of the things I say over and over and over again is we have elections backward uh, in America. You know, the, the vast majority of voters uh, turn out for presidential elections, right? To, to, you know, elect the president of the United States, uh, who has very little power over, uh, your life, you know, and the, the saying that the closer government is to you, the more important it is that we engage with them is, is 100% true. If you look at, you know, the president and, you know, us Congress and the Senate, um, they actually have very little control over your daily life, right? Aside from things like civil liberties, uh, as you get to the state, yeah, of course, there's a little a little more power there. But when we get to our local political subdivisions, your city councils, uh, your school boards, uh, this affects the vast majority of your life. It affects your taxes, your property taxes, how your children are educated, your city that you live in, the ordinances behind there, and so this is where the the most impact can be made. But we uh, we don't show up. For local elections, uh, the 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 turnouts are pretty abysmal, uh, and 
we we need people to kind of uh, switch their worldview, right, and and be engaging. And I think you know his point, and I, I can't remember if it was in this clip or not, but where he said, you know, when four people show up to to one of these open you know open forums, uh, it freaks everyone out because no one shows up. So if four people show up, it's like wow, it's like that's that it kind of scares them. Imagine if twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred people showed up. Uh, to these things, we actually could probably implement uh, quite a bit of change at the local level. I remember talking to a, a local elected official who will remain unnamed, but uh, one time just talking about like, hey, you know, every on average, how many folks show up or if they do show up, is it someone that's maybe not a part of an organization or a group? You know, what what is kind of the the scariest thing or the thing that gets you to do something? And of course, he talked about numbers, right? He's like, yeah, you know, five people showing up is a big deal. But he also said he's like, one of the things that used to freak him out at least in the beginning was they'd have this guy who randomly showed up with a notepad right and would just like jot down his grocery list but they, they wouldn't know that right and so the, they're all wondering up at the dais like oh what is this guy writing about is he going to write about us like what you know and it's just funny the small things like that just because the bar is so low right like that the small things like that will actually motivate uh, some of the greatest change you know and so i definitely to kind of put a cap in i definitely encourage folks to show up up at the local level, um, especially since most local meetings, whether it's city council, county commissioners, school boards, right? They're, they happen on a regular basis. They're things that you can plan a good bit out um, out for. And you don't even have to say anything sometimes, right? Like maybe you show up and maybe the way you communicate to your city council person or to whomever else, right, is by writing them a letter so it's not in person or scheduling an, a, a meeting outside of that. Ask them to go to coffee, right? It's a lot easier to do that with those folks than it is your congressman or your U.S. senator, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Or even your state representative, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, we encourage people to go down to Austin. Legislative session is starting here pretty soon, and we're going to be advocating for some serious property tax reform, and that's going to require grassroots and and voter engagement. However, uh, you know, if you live in Amarillo, right, uh, driving to Austin is not an easy feat. Uh, it's It's a multiple day event, usually to go down there and testify for three minutes, you know, or maybe become part of a rally where your local elections, I mean, it's right down the street, typically, you know, it's less than 30 minutes away in, in, in at least urban districts, right? Um, but it, um, it, the ease of access to the, the local government that, you know, exercises the most control over your life, um, we all should be constantly talking about this and, and uh, engaging. But I do want to encourage people that as we go to the legislative session and as we as an organization uh, and our subscribers focus on property taxes, understand that that engagement matters at every single level, not just the local level, but uh, we, we do encourage you. Uh, if you cannot make it down to Austin, that's completely understandable. Not everyone can, but you can call. You can write. Uh, you can still engage in a number of ways. And quite honestly, something as big as eliminating property taxes, it's going to take some pressure uh, from taxpayers. Uh, lawmakers are not going to just uh, kind of flip our, our school financial system on its head uh, for fun. They're only going to do it if they feel pressure. Uh, and the only way to make them feel that pressure is to engage and, and strongly engage with phone calls, letters, rallies, and showing up uh, and testifying for hearings. Definitely agree. Yeah. Well, you wrote an article this week, right, Jeremy? So uh, why don't you talk about uh, what you wrote about and uh, we'll, we'll discuss it. 
I, I went and spoke, I guess it was last week, uh, to the North Austin Republicans. And what came out of the presentation was on Chapter 313s, right? Uh, which we've talked about many times in this podcast. I don't want to bore our listeners necessarily with what that specifically is. But uh, one of the things that came out of those conversations were kind of this unknown, like what, what was very apparent is that folks had no idea just how bad or how, how much we've allowed the corporate welfare issue to fester, right. In the state of Texas. And so what came out of a lot of that conversation was just kind of like, Hey, it might be worthwhile to maybe talk about some of the history, right. In Texas, uh, with corporate welfare, it, we haven't always had right stuff like that. In fact, we didn't have gifting, um, if you will, via taxpayer money, uh, for many, many years. Um, and it was actually a voter approved constitutional amendment uh, that allowed right uh, this to happen. So I talked about that in the article um, and certainly encouraged folks to go read it. And we talked about kind of from then, uh, uh, from when that happened, when that constitutional amendment was adopted uh, by voters narrowly, by the way, right, by only a few percentage points, when it was adopted to now, uh, we talk about just how bad the problems got and how much money the state of Texas has spent. And then, of course, dovetail that into uh, the fact that, you know, it is very likely in the upcoming legislative session, as we've said multiple times, that there will be an attempt by uh, some Republican leadership, um, more specifically in the House, uh, to maybe not revive, maybe that's not the right word, but to re to institute some program um, that you know was that they decided uh, to let die uh, the the last legislative session. So, yeah, they uh, they're going to reimagine it, right? Is a, is is a good political world? We'll reimagine this corporate welfare program uh, and, and probably make language a lot trickier and more confusing, so people don't know exactly what it is. Um, yeah. So w- when you mentioned uh, that constitutional amendment that was passed, was in, it was in the 80s that was passed? Yeah, it was. I believe it was. Sorry, I'm getting to get my years right. It was 1987, I believe, okay, uh, was right. when it was passed. And ultimately, that just allowed the Texas legislature in the forms of grants, right? That sort of thing. I use taxpayer money uh, to uh, to start producing um, incentives for business under the guise of economic development. It wasn't until the early 2000s that we had the Texas Economic Development Act, uh, which gotcha. is kind of in its form today, and it's been expanded um, since then. But uh, the that that was created in the early, I guess it was 2001, if you will. It was extended and expanded um, about 10 years later uh, by state, then State Representative Har- Harvey Hildebrand. Of course, it, the Chapter 313 program portion of that was let di- uh, left to die um, here in December of this year since last legislative session. But they've already expressed interest in revitalizing it somehow. <laughs> I remind me, I need to thank my parents and, and grandparents for, for voting uh, for that constitutional <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it narrow, to to the credit of Texans, right, it narrowly passed. It was only by yeah. a few, I think it was like 60, 70,000 votes, which statewide, even at that time, right, is like, uh, is, is actually fairly narrow compared to a lot of the other constitutional amendments that overwhelmingly pass. In fact, the majority of them do, so... Yeah, yeah. The bad news is it's a constitutional amendment, right? So those things are notoriously uh, hard to undo. Um, so I think the best we can do is kind of piecemeal out uh, and deal with 313s. You know, this is something we've talked, like you said, ad nauseum about. Um, and this is the largest corporate welfare program in Texas. Uh, I was actually talking um, to a state representative the other day. 
And uh, just talking about session and what the focus is going to be on session and particularly uh, in regards to fiscal issues, right? What are we going to see dealt with in this next legislative session? Um, and it was an interesting conversation. Um, we, we brought up 313s. We think that will come up. I don't know how big of a deal that's going to be. Uh, talked about property taxes, uh, even things like a taxpayer-funded lobby uh, we, we spoke about. And he was talking about, you know, is, is that – uh, is that going to be dealt with, with, with the threshold, the 95% of Republicans that oppose that, is that going to be dealt with? And my, my answer was, I'm cautiously optimistic, but there is so much on the legislator's plate. Uh, this go around with all of the social issues and the gender modification stuff, uh, all the school book stuff. Uh, you possibly have school choices going to be dealt with, could make school financing more difficult. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of uh, these fiscal issues, aside from probably property taxes, because that's the, at the forefront, like banning taxpayer-funded lobbying and 313s, they might be lost in the noise. Um, and so uh, it's incumbent upon us to realize that there's a lot of issues, border security, election integrity. You look at, like, the priorities of the Republican platform. There's a lot they're going to be pressured to deal with. And so it's all the more important for us. Um, as you know, taxpayer advocates and for our subscribers and taxpayers to make sure that our voices are being heard and that we're able to penetrate through all of this noise uh, because I do think that a lot of legislators' heads are going to be spinning this next legislative session with all they have to deal with. I, I don't mean to throw you a, a, a curveball here from left field, if you will, but you had mentioned school choice. And of course, we, uh, I believe you saw too, right? The, the, I think it was the Texan uh, wrote an article about comments Dan Patrick made, which were at least concerning to me. Uh, we, we talk about school choice every so often on the program, obviously, as advocates uh, for some, some form of school choice. Um, and obviously, as you said, it'll likely come up this next legislative session. You had Dan Patrick, lieutenant governor, right, um, supposedly say that they are thinking about potentially opt or opting or, you know, bracketing out, which is a term for its legislative speak, if you will, uh, rural communities uh, from whatever that bill looks like, which admittedly we don't have almost any details on um, at all as of yet, other than kind of just pithy remarks from um, a lot of statewide electeds. But, you know, that's for at least for me, that's concerning. I mean, I don't think for me, if we're doing state policy, what's good for one group of Texans should absolutely be good uh, for everyone else. And I think it's a shame that we go potentially are already abdicating a strong position going into the next legislative session and the session hadn't even started yet. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's cowardly, to be honest. Um, you know, what what he's doing is he is being he is protecting teachers unions. Um, and ultimately, what what he is saying by saying we're going to bracket out rural counties is where he's saying rural students do not deserve school choice. That's what he's saying. And he's going to protect the monopoly, uh, the lack, complete lack of competition. Uh, our schools are pretty abysmal, uh, even compared to the rest of the nation as far as uh, you know, our education standards. Um, and the reality is uh, the vast majority of Texans, both Democrat and Republican, want choices. Uh, they don't want to be forced into failing schools. They want options. And it's hard to talk about uh, particular policy right now, because as you said, we haven't really seen a bill. Uh, we've heard people parrot this, you know, oh, let's do an Arizona style. Um, you know, forgive me if I uh, am, am not cautiously optimistic on that one. I hope we do have that. Um, but I, I think that would be a massive undertaking with as powerful as the, the teacher lobby is uh, in, in Texas. I do think they're going to deal with this, but I, I fear that it's going to be kind of one of these 
uh, status quo, you know, throw, throw some trinkets out there, maybe help some students, but not all, i.e. maybe we'll help, you know, the failing F rated, or I guess they don't F rate them anymore. The not rated <laughs> urban schools. Right. And then, you know, we'll get to the rural guys, you know, in 10 years or whatever, which, uh, this is not what Texans want. I think it's really in, important to realize what has occurred. Uh, there's been a number of uh, school boards that have been flipped. Uh, school curriculum and freedom and all of the, the COVID masking and mandates and lockdowns have caused a real stir in parents. And they absolutely uh, want school choice. I know, uh, you know, I, I homeschool my children. Uh, however, um, uh, we pay into the public <laughs> school system. And so uh, the system of itself, uh, I am advocate that we competition creates good things. And so we need to free that up. Right now, there is absolutely a monopoly over Texas. Uh, and this is our public education system. And we're not saying that there's uh, all bad teachers. It's honestly mainly administrators and lobbyists that have been but have been holding this. And teachers are actually getting the short end of the stick, um, where all the money is wasted on things that have nothing to do with education. And, and our, our ISDs are incredibly fiscally irresponsible. And so uh, the, the system itself has been around for more than a hundred years. Uh, we, the way we even educate children is, is archaic and it needs to be changed. And there's a massive amount of waste. I think it's 55% of our budget is school, uh, is, is education in Texas. And so, uh, something needs to be done. And, and Dan Patrick comments about, um, you know, bracketing out. It's, uh, you know, he's showing his hand, right? He's showing his hand that the, the Senate, who typically is the stronger chamber that we can rely on for the more conservative, he's already saying, no, probably not. The, the, now, the, the one caveat there, right, is if you remember, Dan Patrick came out and said, well, you know, maybe we'll give $4 billion, right? Uh, and then, you know, Backlash came out and then Abbott one-upped him and then he changed his tune, right? And so this shows how interaction with politicians and lawmakers and engagement will change their mind. And so if rural Texans want choice like the rest of Texas, well, let Dan Patrick hear about it. And I bet you'll change his mind if he, if he starts thinking that he made the wrong decision. I got to tell you, it is, it's, I've worked for, we both worked in the building. I've worked for uh, two rural lawmakers um, and having come from an urban district myself, it was certainly, uh, I, I got educated every day on some of the issues that are important to those folks. But you know what? The only people I ever heard that were opposed to school choice in rural communities were literally bureaucrats, right, that exist in those rural communities, not the everyday folks. Um, and so we've wondered since day one, right, ever since Abbott earlier this year, right, had his contract with parents, right, or whatever it was called, what school choice is going to look like. Both of us know that when this has come up in the past, right, past legislative sessions, especially in the House, efforts for school choice have died. In fact, there wasn't much of an effort last legislative session. And the one effort there was, was on the opposite side of it on budget night uh, to ensure that, you know, no public dollars went to any ESA or voucher system. And that passed overwhelmingly in the House uh, for both with Republicans and Democrats. And so we've wondered this whole time for now, months now, right, is like, if there is a deal that has been struck on school choice, what does it look like? Have suddenly lawmakers changed their tunes? I think we're starting to kind of see, um, you know, that those cards have been shown and whatever conversations are happening behind the scenes. And it's, uh, it looks like if there is a deal, it potentially means that, you know, these the lawmakers that were opposed to it for whatever myriad of reasons uh, are likely comfortable because they know they'll potentially be bracketed out in the bill. The other concern that we haven't talked about, and I know we don't probably want to spend too much time on this, maybe this is for another episode, is 
you know, there's concern that public education in general is going to ask for more money this next go around and uh, uh, the uh, next biennial budget right, for appropriations. But enrollment in public school has gone down. And so the concern um, all along has been if a deal has been struck on school choice to suddenly get across the finish line. Is it that they're going to fund existing public education structures at, if not the same, more money, and then also use either a portion of the surplus or appropriate more money for vouchers, right, to bring people on? Be, uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of unknown there. And I guess we'll start to see as bills start to be filed here in the next few months. But if you're a taxpayer who cares about the issue of school choice, it undoubtedly will come up in some fashion this next session. Obviously, we'll keep tabs on it and uh, and try to to kind of focus in on on the uh, meat of the issue um, as it as it folds out, but these are all things that are certainly concerning. Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting. I tend to uh, agree with your sentiment. I think it'd be something that would be interesting to talk uh, to to Vance Ginn about next week. We're having him on as a special guest, and so I assume he'd have a wealth of information and knowledge on uh, speculate. I tend to believe it just based on our history and watching the legislature for about a decade uh, that. It's very unlikely they're going to take money away from public education if they're adding some sort. It's more likely that they're in order to sell it to right to public education is they're going to give them more money and then also allocate even more money to to a voucher system. And so it's um, yeah, it's it's worrisome. But like I said, we're not going to you know I'm not going to get the cart before the horse. Uh, bills are going to be uh, coming out soon. Press releases, governor priorities, and everyone's priorities are going to come out in the next few months. So we will see uh, exactly what form uh, we'll, we will take. Uh, last last uh, thing I want. Uh, so we have election, you know, next Tuesday, November eighth. Uh, so I'm curious, Jeremy, what is your predictions for national level? Like, uh, do do Republicans take House and Senate, uh, and then state level? What what are your predictions? So the cynic in me, uh, the forever cynic, is I, I kind of want to just fast forward to the part where Republicans do, in fact, take control of the House, maybe the Senate, and then we complain two years from now because they're still not doing anything. Like that's yep. what, that's the reality, um, right? I, I understand I might get some pushback from folks that are maybe tribalist or more partisan than I am. Um, but I, I like – I hate election time just because it's full of a bunch of promises that continue to be broken every cycle. And we keep revisiting the same issues in different ways. Right. And, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's beyond time. And the, the reason we're stuck in this death loop, if I'm going to put my opinion piece on is, uh, is we don't pay attention to the folks that we're electing and we take their push cards and things like that at face value. And I think, I don't think that's changed necessarily this cycle, albeit there are some candidates, at least on the ballot, um, that are, uh, better, at least on camera. Uh, we'll see if, if that, that changes. I don't know. I don't think the state level necessarily changes all that much. I don't think any of the statewide offices go, you know, suddenly to a Democrat or anything. Um, my, my hope is that, uh, you know, some of the folks that are even in close races on the statewide level, right, kind of lean into the fact that if they win, right, that they just kind of go full bore. But I think what actually ends up happening, as we've seen in the past, is these folks, uh, you know, especially Republicans that are in close races for whatever reason, start to moderate their positions a little bit more so they don't have to run into that issue the next time they run. Um, I, I don't know. But uh, to, to completely answer your question, the too long didn't read. I'm extremely cynical that not much will change, uh, unfortunately, coming from the results. So, uh, uh, Unfortunately, I think you're right. Uh, and maybe we're just jaded because we've been in for too long. I don't know, right? But on 
on the national level, I do think there'll there'll be you know quote unquote some sort of a red wave, right? I think it might even surprise us how big it's going to be. But uh, you know, we go through this every cycle, right? Republicans win. We had three chambers with Trump, and yeah, he did some good things, uh, but we did some bad things, and we increased our uh, you know our our money supply through the Fed, and we handed out stimmy checks, and did all this horribly fiscally irresponsible stuff that uh, is in part why we're suffering now. Not all the way. Biden's administration has a lot to do with it as well. Right. But uh, I would be blown away if, you know, uh, we grab majorities and good old Mitch McConnell's still going to be the leader. Right. I, I completely think that is what's going to happen. Um, I am more hopeful uh, for the state level. And this is honestly why, you know, I, I was active way back, you know, in 2007, eight with Ron Paul, and all that, you know, when when all that was going on, in the Tea Party movement. Um, but eventually I just realized, like, the federal level, for the most part, is a lost cause. And quite honestly, the the best way to rein in the control of the federal government is through state power. And so when you see strong governors like Ron DeSantis, when you see the big race, um, Carrie Lake over in Arizona, I don't know how that one's going to turn out, but she's saying some crazy things. I take those with a grain of salt as well. I mean, you can be a big talker and not be a big walker. Um, So we'll see if she actually wins in January, if she does some of the things she says she's going to do. Uh, she has a strong personality, and she uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about her. In Texas, I'm curious. I, I don't anticipate any statewides are going to flip uh, Democrat. Uh, and like I said, most most of the districts are gerrymandered to the point where they're not very competitive. I would say the only exception is probably the Valley. And just because the demographics there being mostly Hispanic, um, you're seeing a trend that they're becoming more Republican as Democrats kind of uh, depart from traditional family values and things like that. So if we have any surprises, it'll probably be in the Valley. Uh, but at most, I would be surprised if it wasn't, you know, a seat or two, maybe uh, Republicans pick up. But we shall see. Uh, and of course, this time uh, next week, uh, we will have election results. So likely we'll be talking about that. And of course, we have a, a special guest, Vance Ginn, who is a PhD economist, uh, previously with the uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation. So we'll have a good conversation with him about all kinds of stuff. Um, and that is about all we have today. Jeremy, you got anything else? Nope, I don't think so. Uh, use our index, our fiscal responsibility index. If you're, um, you know, unsure whether your lawmaker or folks that are running for uh, your state house district or state senate district, if they're an inc- if there's an incumbent on the ballot, you can use our fiscal responsibility index. Find that at index.texastaxpayers.gov. It's a free tool. We've been doing it since 2007 um, to find out how fiscally responsible your lawmaker is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we uh, look forward to seeing everybody next week. Uh, Thank y'all for being with us. Y'all have a great weekend. For even more content, follow us on social media at Texas Taxpayers on Facebook and Instagram at Texas underscore taxpayers on Twitter. Subscribe to the Fiscal Note, our weekly email jam-packed full of information important to Texas taxpayers at texastaxpayers.com slash subscribe. And then make sure to check out our Texas Prosperity Plan texastaxpayers.com slash TPP. Thanks.